Hello and welcome to Happy Homes, the podcast that helps you find the light in your living space. Now, sustainable design. You can't read an architecture or homes magazine without coming across it, but just what does sustainable mean in 2020? And how can you make sure your home measures up? Well, with me to talk about all this, I'm joined today by Emily Fournay of Fournay Interiors and Connor McCarran of Resi. Hi, Nikki. Hi. So, Emily, I'm going to start with you. There's loads in the media about sustainability, but what does sustainable design mean to you and why are you so passionate about it? For me, sustainability, it's about how to use a space, but also using construction materials and uh, furniture, accessories that have got low environmental impact and that reduce pollution and waste and energy consumption ultimately and sort of achieving the home of the 21st century with keeping our planet in mind. Mm, Yeah. Connor, do you have anything to add to that? It's just such a broad subject, isn't it, sustainability? I mean, especially when applied to the world of architecture, you know, it's not only the design, it's not only the construction, but it's the use of that building. So I guess for me, I mean, anyone who's been through that architectural training process is going to be aware of sustainability. They're going to be engaged in it. They're going to be passionate about it. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really important to kind of keep that awareness, which I think most architects, if they've been through that process, they will do and it will mean a lot to them. Is that something that you do learn at architecture school, Connor? Is it something that is part of the training? It depends, really. I mean, different schools work in different ways. They have different studios available, so you can go into different kind of realms of architecture. For, for me specifically, yeah, I definitely kind of chose that studio, which really went into sustainable design, worked with some really good tutors, which that was their kind of main focus. So, so for me personally, it was a big part of it. But, you know, there's lots of areas of architecture, definitely. And Emily, what about you? Is it something that you'd studied formally or something that you, you know, grew an awareness of and then became interested in? It's not something that I studied, but it's definitely something that I've always been around, even growing up. Uh, My parents, for example, used a lot of, you know, family furniture and tried to not be wasteful and resourceful in the the material and the furnitures that that they had. And I think that's something that I took on quite early on in my career and that I tried to, you know, to expand on because for me, it's something that not only makes a lot of sense, but ultimately you achieve better design when you have sustainability at heart. Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. I've heard a few people say that actually. So Connor, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the sustainable design elements that you try and work in at Resi when you're planning for people? Well, Resi is a bit of an interesting one, really, because we, we predominantly work on existing buildings. You know, as compared to new buildings where you're building everything from scratch, you know, with a new building, you can specify high spec insulation in the floors, walls, roof. You can do new technologies. You know, it's very easy just to kind of build it all up from scratch and it's going to perform very well. I think with the work that we mainly do, you know, we're looking at um, extensions, we're looking at conversions. So I think in terms of sustainability, it's sometimes a bit more subtle in terms of the kind of things that we're recommending. It might be a material choice or it might be some high performing glazing, for example. So you have to be quite selective as well. Sometimes it's down to the client's budget or it might be a planning restriction. So um, yeah, it, it really depends on the project, but there's always something that you can do, I think, in any industry to make something more sustainable now whether that's something small or big really depends on the project and Emily what about you with your design work because obviously you're more of an interior designer aren't you 
Yeah, so I think, you know, Connor's right in saying it, it's not necessarily going to be the, the whole build or the whole interior that is going to be sustainable. But I think it's important that you try to start somewhere. And obviously, the, the client's budget and, uh, you know, ultimately the size and, and the feasibility of the design is is something to, to bear in mind. But I think there's always something that, that can be done. So, for example, in my work, I... I love using whether it's antique or vintage furniture because not only I think it brings a an element of of character and personality and also something that not necessarily anyone will everyone will have but also just doing those little things that in the long run will have a bigger impact so I, I like using paints that will have low VOCs, for example, because I think that the time of oil-based paint is, is gone. You know, sometimes you find yourself with with builders or with trade people that are still sort of quite old school and will argue that only oil-based paint will sustain and will be more durable. Whereas, you know, water-based paint have come a long way in the last 20 years that if not more durable than oil-based paint and you know, they're so much better for the environment. They're so much better, especially if you if you're doing projects for for families with with children around. So, it can be anything. It can be from uh, reusing an old piece of furniture or choosing paints that will have less impact on the environment. So, it's important that every choice can be looked at, but. Also, it's important not to obsess over them and no building, no project will be 100% sustainable unless you've got an unlimited budget. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think sometimes people think, oh, well, if if I can't fix all of it, there's kind of no point starting it. But that's probably not the right attitude to have. Connor, I wanted to ask you as well, in terms of working at Resi, you're looking at kind of more structural elements, right? So what are some of the most common sustainable design things that you can alter about a, an older property? I mean, there's lots of kind of different options available, really. I mean, in terms of, you know, the structure of building and once you expose it and add a new extension, for example, um, in terms of sustainability, it might be um, how that kind of space performs. So the thermal properties of that 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 space, you know, whether that's the amount of glazing you include, you know, the orientation of the building, you know, does it get the morning sun? Does it heat up the building in the morning? Um, is there enough space for it to kind of adequately ventilate itself? So th- these are a lot of kind of questions that we ask ourselves as we're going through the design. But sometimes it's not as easy as that. You know, sometimes you're confined by the space, you know, especially for an ex- extension, for example, you know, there might be just a certain amount of area you can ex- extend. So in terms of the sun, you know, sometimes you, you just have to kind of deal with with what the context is, basically. But I think there's there's always something you could do, especially when it comes to that, the later stages of the project, you know, when you're doing the construction package and we're, you know, specifying the insulation we're seeing how much material we're removing, you know, even that, you know, requires skips and, you know, how much can we reuse? Like Emily was saying, you know, sometimes it might be that we keep a bit of wall and even that bit of wall might have some character to it instead of just, you know, scrapping it, replacing it with, you know, some a new piece of steelwork. I think working with the existing building, keeping little bits where possible, keeping that character of the building, that's the kind of fun bit for me, I think. And that's where I think projects really become better, not only sustainability-wise, but um, just in, in terms of their design as well. So I think a lot more people nowadays are getting aware of all of this and and want to do their bit. And 
Um, so I think a good, a good starting point is, uh, you know, obviously depending on the budget and the scope of, 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 of work that needs to be done, um, people will either ask to have, uh, to be reusing certain, you know, things. So it could be, you know, just like a kitchen revamp where you're going to be still using the old carcasses because they still work absolutely fine, but you're just changing the fronts or, you know, a lot of people as well uh, might be uncovering existing floors to find the original floorboards underneath and and try to, you know, keep these rather than just replacing with with something new. So I think people are just a lot more aware and they're trying to sort of be more sustainable, but also in terms of budget as well, sometimes it helps quite a lot to, to be able to reuse certain things. And there's also the side of thing that people will want you to source vintage or antiques because not only because the, the, the durability of, of the items that you can find, you know, sometimes the, those pieces of furniture have been standing for 70 years and they're actually more solid and more durable than whatever new flat pack you might buy. So I think there's definitely something uh, that people want more and more is that originality as well and not, you know, something that everyone will have in their house. And uh, and and a lot more people as well are, are either, you know, turning to, to parents or family or friends and uh, been sort of given stuff on, you know, family heirloom or swapping, uh, you know, furniture with neighbours and things like that. So taking those elements and and introducing them into a new scheme is is really exciting. And I, I like to sort of bring the client's personality into the design. And I think that's really important when there's a starting point for this, whether it's an existing piece of art or, uh, you know, a bedside table that's been in a family for a few generations. So all those things are, are sort of really really important and and it's really exciting to to, to build uh, you know a, a concept uh, around it absolutely Connor when people are talking to you or you're talking to them about sustainable design is there still this myth that it's going to make things more expensive yes and no really I mean in the short term I think setting up these sustainable technologies whether it's ground source heat pump, whether it's solar panels, whether it's a ventilation unit, you know, there's a lot of really good tech out there now, which yes, is expensive in in the setup. But you know, in the long run, when you're weighing that up against, you know, the, the, the electricity bill, or the, you know, the gas bill, you know, it's that kind of long term investment. Now, I would still say that for the majority of small domestic projects, some of these technologies probably just aren't feasible. I think, you know, it's a shame that the cost of them to install them and actually use them correctly. It might take, you know, years and years and years for them to kind of make their money back. Some of them aren't so applicable. But I think what we're seeing in the larger developments for especially new builds and new flats, you know, where you've got these, you know, new insulated panels and new kind of construction methods, you know, we're definitely seeing the results sooner rather than later. Uh, so I would say that, yes, it's more expensive for some people, but um, for a lot of developments, it's becoming a lot more realistic and I think it's really good that in the UK especially we're starting to kind of bring in a lot of kind of grading criterias. So in terms of planning, you know, a new build can only be let through sometimes if it hits certain criteria. So we're actually being very strict on the regulation around sustainability, which is amazing for, for architecture and what we're doing in the UK. 
Um, so yeah, in short, um, it, it can be expensive, um, but I think there's a lot of areas where it can be applied for the right price, basically. Yeah, and presumably with things like heat conservation, etc., you know, you save money eventually, don't you, even if you have to output at the beginning? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that long run, you know, initial setup costs, but then over the years, you're going to start seeing the bills drop down and hopefully that will kind of, you know, break even. And then, you know, sometimes in some cases, really sustainable developments, um, people actually profit off the, the solar panels and they sell the electricity back to the grid. So there's amazing things being done and, and some kind of prototype projects, which are really kind of paving the way for sustainable design. Wonderful. So what are some of the more unique materials that we are seeing in the design world? I mean, materials is one thing, but I think for me, some of the most interesting things is actually the construction methods. So one is actually, you know, prefabrication. So that's one that's been around for years. um, And it's essentially, you know, building something offsite in a controlled environment. So you can test it, you can make sure that it's performing correctly. And then you install it on site in a matter of, you know, days sometimes. Now, what that does is it saves, you know, months of the design process or construction process. So, sorry, you know, if you're in the middle of winter, your house is exposed at the back and you're watching a builder slowly build the wall up. You know, that's, I'm sure, probably one of the most painful things you can go through. Whereas this kind of method, you know, it can be installed on site in a matter of hours. And if it's coordinated correctly, if it's timed correctly, um, you know, the client can save so much money so much you know cost has gone into that kind of laborious material process so um yeah i think that that's definitely one that's really emerging in the construction industry i mean the other one that's really interesting is 3d printing so you know 3 3d printing we typically see as you know small kind of more plastic project um products which is amazing for the the product industry um but basically it's been scaled up. So now they're, they're literally printing houses in, in 3D. So sometimes they use a kind of liquid concrete material. Sometimes they're working with kind of composite, different sustainable materials. But essentially, you know, printing a house in a matter of hours, which, um, you know, it's still in its infancy at the minute. I think there's a few kind of prototype projects here and there. Um, but, but I honestly think in the next kind of five to ten years, 3D printing will be, you know, a, a commonly used construction method, which is just really interesting and, you know, can't wait to see where we take that, really. Yeah, it's boggling. I mean, is there a conflict between between sustainable buildings and buildings that stand the test of time? Because I know that part of the issue with the housing crisis is that we're not building houses quick enough and that the houses that we're currently building technically need to last for 2,000 years. That's what Julia Park, who's one of the architects at Levitt Bernstein, told us at the beginning of the podcast series. I mean, is, is it such that if you 3D print a house, it was, it's only going to last 50 years, for example? Do you know what? I think, yeah, there's, a, there's lots of different prototypes and different materials being used. But no, I, I think that the aim of 3D printing is obviously speed is one of the benefits. But I think, you know, with architecture, it has to tick many boxes. So speed, performance, quality, can it test the length of time? Um, and I think with 3D printing, you know, they're, they're striving to tick all of those boxes. You know, it's not just the speed. I think what we're actually seeing out of it as well is you can design very complex forms very well, very quick. Um, without having to give up the quality. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see 
you know, if these things ever do get built and we've got lots of examples in the UK, yeah, just to see how well they do perform. But, um, you know, I really do hope that it can do better than some of the, the typical brick construction buildings that we're seeing at the moment. Mm, yeah. Emily, what do you think about that? What are some of the faddish or most overrated aspects of sustainable design that you hear about? Just like Connor was saying, you know, because some of the, the, the things are still in sort of infancy, it's it's hard to sort of know how far we're going to be able to push them. But, you know, sometimes when you just start developing something, there might be something else that be that might be invented along the way that will, uh, you know, bring those two elements together and, and just suddenly become, you know, revolutionary in the way we, we build things. I think there are already quite a lot of of elements that we could use more regularly on, like Connor was saying, you know, just, just using the standard bricks and mortar and, uh, you know, a lot of concrete everywhere. Concrete is, is using a lot of water. It's not necessarily the most sustainable material to use, but it's it's a shortcut because it's it's cheap and, well, to, to a certain extent, but it's it's also what people know. And and so there's maybe a bit of resistance from people as well trying and wanting to, to use new materials because they, they're a bit more wary of what the durability of them and, and whether it's going to sustain time and, and, and be actually efficient. So also, I think there needs to be maybe a bit more of a of a push in terms of legislation and and really trying to to sort of push that sustainability in construction and and in you know retrofitting whether it's ex, you know extensions or or things like that and and I think at, at the moment there really isn't the the sort of that push that is needed. I don't know the exact percentage of of buildings that are still being built, uh, you know, in a more traditional way rather than in a more new sustainable way. But it's it's probably not that much in the overall scheme. So we need to do a bit more. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Connor, what do you think about that? Where do you still feel that we need more innovation? Um, I mean, in architecture, there's, there's a term coined, which is eco-bling. Now, eco-bling is it's kind of like making a building look sustainable. So what you will see a lot of the time is, you know, architects might put a green roof on the building, you know, and as much as I love green roofs, you know, I think they look great, but that's not usually enough to make a building sustainable. Or you might have a couple of, you know, wind turbines on top of the building and they're more kind of afterthoughts. They're more just things that are slapped on at the end of the design process to try and for the planners usually to try and make it look sustainable. Now, what we actually find is some of the most sustainable buildings in the world are actually built out of steel and glass, but they're, you know, which are typically, you know, not really associated with sustainability, but they're incredibly smart buildings, you know, the way that they're designed, whether it's their, you know, the way they're positioned so that they can heat themselves up naturally, they can cool themselves naturally, you know, they use the techniques that we learn in architecture to kind of, you know, the, the design of that space allows the heat to move efficiently. Um, you know, or it's got kind of really innovative technologies in there, such as different pumps and ventilators. Um, you know, so these are the kind of buildings which I think for architects, we're, you know, have a lot more respect in the terms of sustainability. Mm. Um, it's not just, you know, putting a load of grass on it, making it look like a bit of a hobbit house and calling <laughs> it a green, a green build. Um, even though there is a lot of cool ones of that. Um, yeah, I think it's just, there's a lot more, um, 
there's a lot more clever ways of being sustainable in architecture. And we're seeing some amazing architects do amazing things with, you know, very industrial materials, basically. Yeah. And also, I mean, I've seen this trend for kind of biomaterials. So people experimenting with different types of algae and plant materials. I mean, is that something that's going to be viable for making houses? Do you know what? I don't know too much about that, but definitely with the algae thing, um, I've read a few articles of that and, um, yeah, it definitely seems like there's some strange, new, wonderful, weird ways which we're kind of, you know, gaining energy and being able to use different kind of energies and materials. So, you know, yeah, that's just one of many which are just opening up new doors in terms of sustainability. You know, I think that the the old ones used to be, you know, wind and solar, which, again, are obviously still some of the most used and powerful. Um, but, you know, science, I think, is a part of sustainability and there's some amazing things happening um, in that kind of that crossover between science and architecture um, yeah which I'm just really excited to see where that ends up to be honest I think there's some some mad scientists in the world doing some, <laughs> some really interesting things yeah yeah wonderful Emily let's just talk a bit more about the detail game because I'm interested to know kind of how you work when you're you're starting a project say so say somebody comes to you is it that they come and say I want to make um, one of the rooms in my house or I don't know a couple of the rooms in my house beautiful but I also want them to be sustainable or is it that you might suggest a way to be sustainable for them? I don't think it's necessarily something that people will suggest but it's definitely something that I always try to keep at the at the heart of of my designs so you know like I mentioned earlier it could be the start, starting point could be something that, they, that they've already got or um, you know it could be instead of buying a brand new floor it could be sourcing for uh, you know reclaimed tiles or reclaimed floorboards and uh, so you know there are so many ways that that you can you know use different elements and and more and more um, so many companies are using recycled materials from you know curtains that have been uh, you know made with recycled plastic there's a there's a company in um, in Yorkshire called Stitched and they make those fabrics and those curtains and blinds um, so that they make them on their mill in Yorkshire so it's you know in terms of sustainability as well it's not something that is made abroad it's made uh, you know in the UK it's in their mill uh, using you know the, the sort of local water and they just reuse um, you know plastic or more environmentally friendly um, fibres like hemp or, um, you know, bamboo, things like that. So, you know, it could be, it could be, you know, just the little details. It could be just one element of the room that, that might be more sustainable. I mean, obviously with, like I mentioned, with things like paint, I always really try to, um, you know, to use paints that have got low VOCs and, you um, so, you know, I think adding elements either that are recycled or reclaimed, this might be a bit more, you know, sourcing, a bit more, a bit more time consuming. And then ultimately, you know, you have to write, have the right amount and it has to fit within the, the you know, the, the concept of the, um, of the design. But it's, it's doable. And I think that the finished product always look that much better for it because you've been really sort of conscious and and considered with the materials that that you've chosen and already with that in mind you just sort of streamline your your elements and your your finishes 
and that makes for a much more, uh, you know, organic and sustainable, um, you know, interior. So, um, but the, the, there's a lot of things. And it, every year that, you know, we go to trade show, apart from this year, obviously, we, we haven't been able to do much of that. But um, it's always really exciting to, to discover all those new materials, you know, that it could be tiles made with, uh, you know, recycled plastics, worktops that are really, you know, efficient and really durable, also made with, um, you know, with plastics. And uh, and then it also opens up the, the, the different options that you can have you know in terms of colors in terms of of finishes and uh, there's so many options that just open from the more traditional you know just using one type of stone uh, which is going to be either marble or uh, but it's it's just really interesting and it just makes it that much more exciting and and unique Mm, yeah so it's to do with that that extra thought at the beginning helps something yeah. last longer and people love it more probably as, as the years go on yeah yeah so interesting um Connor do you think there's a, been a generational shift do you find that younger homeowners are more interested in the sustainability aspect or you know is it kind of across the board interesting question really I've never actually kind of really considered that I mean at Resi you know we go we do you know I think we're on kind of our 5,000th project or kind of whatever it is now. I think, we, you know, we handle so many different projects, so many different client types, so many different property types. Um, so it's it's hard to define exactly what people are into at the minute. But I, I would definitely say that there's definitely been a kind of more shift and awareness um, in sustainability. I think I think generally um, I would say young people are a bit more aware um, just because of the kind of education that we have, um, especially at universities at the moment. So, so yeah, I think it raises a good point. I think for a young homeowner, if they're starting a new development, um, they might be a bit more inclined to kind of bring in some of those technologies or materials. Um, but in the same breath, you know, I've I've had um, quite an elderly client um, quite recently who really wanted to push for quite a high tech, modern, sustainable design. So um, I think it's good to know that you know everyone's considering it if they've got the money or if they've got the project available where it's going to be feasible um i'd like to think that you know across the board um, there's many different ages and types of people that that are involved and interested in using it yeah it's wonderful emily you mentioned to me when we talked before that there's a kind of parallel with the fashion industry at the minute in the kind of design world. So we've become awakened to the perils of fast fashion and the design industry realises that it needs to become awakened to the the perils of, well, fast design, I suppose. Yeah. What kinds of things have become really problematic in your opinion? There is the sort of, you know, the same way that fast fashion, fast design is sort of, uh, you know, a lot of brands, whereas it's, you know, H&M, Zara, French Connection, clothing brands are now developing their sort of home and accessories um, section in a very, very big way. Now, it's not it's not all bad because, um, you know, H&M are actually really trying uh, with the sustainability and um, but it just still means, you know, accessories mass produced and sometimes sent in really non, uh, you know, environmentally friendly packaging with a lot of plastic, with a lot of polystyrene. So th- there's a side to it, like, uh, you, you know, when you're when you're going to be doing an install and sometimes you just look at a room that you've just installed and then you just look on the other side and you see those piles of plastics and cardboard and polystyrenes. It just makes me feel so 
sick deep down when I when I sort of see all that. So that that's the sort of more nasty side of things that you know those things have been either flown from across the world and uh, you know in in plastic. So and and because the, the ultimate goal is to make you consume as much as possible and makes you think that you need to change your, you know, cushion covers every six months or that you need a, a new vase that's got a different shape or, a di- you know, the colour of the season. Uh, and so I think, you know, on the one hand, I put my hands up, you know, I buy stuff, I source and I specify things from Zara, from H&M, you know, when uh, sometimes you've only, you know, you've spent all your budget on something else and you've got 100, 200 pounds to accessorize and, and finish off a room, uh, you know, it's it's easy to go down that road. And and as interior designers, we, we all do it to a certain extent. So, it, but I think it's trying to find the right balance and not to fall into you know that that it's easy to do it and just to do it all the time so it could be you know that you buy from those places and you buy a vase and some cushioned covers but you don't necessarily need to change these every six months or every year because you need the you know the accessory of the moment so um and I think also people have got to be more vocal towards brands as well they've got to to sort of shout out when it's when it's coming in all this plastic and say hey you know can you not send all your stuff in plastic like this like there's a lot of brands that are doing that more and more that they send you know in cardboard boxes so home are very good at doing that you know there's there's no plastic at all in their packaging and that's that's something that I really appreciate so I think it's not about virtue signaling and, you, you know, try to, to a sense of superiority and say, well, I only buy, you know, uh, recycled or materials or accessories that come, you know, within sustainable packaging. It's not necessarily about that, but it's, it's about finding the right balance and doing what you can and then just not have that sort of blinded, uh, you know, consumerism and just... Uh, buy a new accessory for your house uh, every other week because it's it's just like fast fashion ultimately yeah it does it sounds a little bit like the arts and crafts movements mentality you know yeah this idea that you should have fewer objects and they should be beautiful and useful and you know people just seem to appreciate a bit more what they had when they did it that way right yeah and 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 what I was saying earlier you know it's it's about what what you want versus what you really need as well and Mm. If you're, I think also you'll you'll fall into the, the 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 danger zone of just having too much clutter and uh, and that's not sustainable either. So um, yeah, just just think about what you really need from from the space and and how and how you can go about it and and be more sustainable in your choices. But, you know, we, we all get tempted, you know, by the bright lights of, uh, you know, uh, a cheap vase that that just looks re- and And, you know, I do it. So, I'm not, uh, you know, but it, it's not doing it so regularly and and just try to to really encourage brands that are going the extra mile. And uh, actually, on, on that note, I wanted to mention that there's um, 
uh, another blogger and journalist called um, Kate Watson-Smythe from Mad About the House, who has got a, a directory of, uh, it's called Do Less Harm. And she's got a list of um, of brands who are, you know, either pushing towards uh, more sustainable packaging or, you know, the, the origin of, of the items. And so it's, it's a good starting point if people don't necessarily know where to start um, to sort of, you know, start looking for through that directory you know where where they could start their their journey to to having more sustainable um interiors now that's wonderful that's a really really good tip connor do you have any thoughts about this because obviously you know people don't tend to redo their kitchens maybe at the same rate or certainly not the renovations they invest in with resi but is there a kind of churn element to how quickly people try and remake some parts of the houses sometimes um oh yeah yeah definitely I mean, a lot of the development sometimes, you know, we do have an issue in London specifically, which is, you know, the houses are bought by developers and they're usually trying to churn out the projects, usually as quickly and as cheaply as possible so that they can become rental properties. Um, you know, and it, and it's my job as, as you know, the architectural designer to, you know, still satisfy their brief. You know, they're, they're a paying customer. You know, it's not... Even though I don't agree with that, I think it's a bigger problem, which probably I'm not going to change overnight with this one design. So, you know, it's my job to serve the client. And I think, you know, I can design in such a way to to allow for, you know, speedy construction. Now, you know, I would always try my best to recommend sustainable design or I would try my best to, um, you know, design it in such a way that it's not going to be as impactful on the environment. But unfortunately, what we see a lot in, you know, especially kind of domestic architecture, you know, houses, they'll do a little extension, they'll go and get the, the cheapest IKEA kitchen straight away, they'll just, you know, scrap the old one, there's not really that kind of nurturing, um, that kind of nurturing approach to the project, as if it was, you know, compared to, let's say a, a kind of new house buyer, you know, a young couple who want to make the best out of their home, you know, they're the client clients I really like working with. And they're the kind of clients that, you know, are going to give that thought to the, to the architecture in the building, but also what's in that building, you know, like Emily was saying, if there's, if there's bits they can keep and reuse. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of architecture, holistically, there, there is unfortunately, um, a big part of it, which is about, you know, turning over and flipping the property sometimes as quick as possible um, so that people can make, you know, the substantial amounts of money that, that we see. Um, but obviously that's causing huge issues with, with you know, rent in London, which can be extortionate or people trying to find that property. You know, some people might own, you know, tens, if not more properties and they have a, have a whole catalogue, which they rent out. Personally, I don't think that's, you know, economically sustainable for the, for a lot of the UK, you know, a lot of young people at the minute who are trying to get their first house and even with a well-paid job at the minute, you know, they can't even, you know, afford rent or go on holiday once a year. Um, so I think there's there's just loads of aspects of sustainability, you know, whether that's environmental sustainability or whether that's economical sustainability. I think there's a lot which architecture tackles and it's... Um, a very kind of delicate juggling act trying to, you know, do your job properly and serve the right clients, but um, but also just have an opinion on it. And um, sometimes it's outside of your control, but I think it's my job to always recommend the best solution. So, yeah, a lot to unpack there, but <laughs> hopefully that's, um, yeah, a bit of clarity on from my side on that. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, is it a case then every so often we'll have a discussion from the government and the housing ministers about they're committed to a more sustainable way of building houses and encouraging people to live. But do you feel that they really support it? I think, yeah. So all governments have their quota of the amount of houses that they're trying to produce every year. And to be honest, there is a massive shortage in housing in in the UK at the moment. So I think they do care about it and they always want the best. But I think they're being pulled from so many different directions. You know, in one hand, they have to produce a certain amount of houses. Um, which is an incredible number trying to, you know, they're trying to foresee the issues which are arising at the moment. So one part of the brief is speed. Now, unfortunately, with speed, sometimes there's a drop in quality. So then you've got the other string being pulled, which, right, those houses need to be sustainable. But, you know, I think the government, you know, some better than sums, but um, I think they're being pulled in many different directions. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the time they're being pulled more in the direction of building cheap and quick and that just obviously is going to see a lot of issues in the in the quality of the, the architecture you know especially when we see things like grenfell happening you know that is literally a product of um you know speedy construction cheap construction which was in the hands of a developer you know and unfortunately in, in the uk a lot of development is is following the same practice and the people that pay the price are the residents and the, the community of london so it's i think just really important for governments to not only hit their quota you know which we do need to build a lot of houses but also to remember that idea of quality and sustainability which you know I'm going to put my hands up and say I don't know the exact answer of how that's done um, but I'm sure there's a middle ground because I think at the moment it's most definitely swinging way towards you know cheap and quick construction. Mm. So it's, it's it's on both sides, isn't it? It's it's the outside, it's the structure and it's inside as well. So I just wanted to finish, guys, by asking you really about where people start. If they're listening and they're thinking, well, it sounds fantastic and, you know, I want to I have a green home, I want to have a sustainable home, but I wouldn't even know how to measure how green or sustainable it is at the moment. So Emily, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I want to make my interiors more sustainable, what should they start with? So, you know, what I was saying earlier, so maybe look for like a, a sustainable directory of, well, a directory of uh, sustainable businesses, but also maybe don't rush into making, you know, rush decisions or decisions that are necessarily guided by money. You know, sustainability is sometimes will take a bit longer to get there. Look, it, it could be, you know, sourcing the right floorboards, the right square meterage of floorboards, that might take you a bit longer. But, you know, ultimately, you probably will end up paying the same price as if you were buying a new floorboards. So I think, yeah, don't don't rush into any decision too quickly. Plan ahead, shop around, um, do your research and possibly, you know, be resourceful as well. Try to look closer to home. So it could be sourcing things from eBay or Facebook marketplace. Sometimes people have leftover material from their own building projects that you can, that you can gather and try to 
also shop your own house. It's a really good way of not going very far and saving a lot of money is look at the things that you already have. What can you reuse? What can you repurpose? What can you recycle? What can you possibly, you know, sell to uh, or exchange, you know, sometimes with your neighbours or within, uh, you know, different communities, you've got uh, things like free cycle. And yeah, there's a lot of things that, that you can do from, Shopping secondhands, auctions, uh, you know, local shops, charity shops. So it's it's a good starting point to to sort of do that. Yeah, so it's all about the thought, really, isn't it, and the consideration. Connor, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, you've got a house and you're looking to develop it, and sustainability is, you know, something you want to consider. I, th- I think, like any project, you know, get in touch with an architect or a designer, depending on what whatever. Um, brief it is or you know someone like Emily if you're looking to interiors and I think that person would just be able to you know guide you through your brief and just look at the options available Um, you know sometimes a different option might be more viable than another or it might be dependent on on the you know the budget you know huge thing that is often you know not really considered you know let's look at the budget let's look at the options available and you know any architect would be able to talk you through that and hopefully you know recommend the best solution wonderful well emily connor thank you so much for talking to me today and we will get some of the things that you mentioned in the show notes for people so they can go and do some more research brilliant thanks nikki thank you so if you're still struggling to get a grip on how to make your home sustainable gray water anyone Remember, you may spend more on sustainable materials at the beginning of a project, but you'll often save money down the line on energy bills or repairs. Think of it as an investment. You don't always have to buy the latest sustainable materials to be sustainable. Try shopping your own house for offcuts and spare materials or ask your local community and check out FreeCycle. If you do buy something disposable, remember, you can offset its shelf life by keeping it for several years rather than the several months it's intended for. And finally, sustainable design shouldn't be a quest for perfection. Starting somewhere is everything. You can still take the Resi Happy Homes test to find out how to maximise harmony at home. Just go to resi.co.uk slash happy underscore homes. Bye for now.